Zachary Bernhardt was a curious eight-year-old boy living in Clearwater, Florida. Zach lived with his single mother, Leah, and had a bit of an unstable childhood. Leah struggled to make ends meet, and she and Zach would end up being evicted several times. In September of 2000, Zach and Leah were living in the Savannah Trace apartment complex in Clearwater. On the night of September 10th, Leah, who normally worked nights, was off. Leah planned a movie night for them, and then Zach went to bed around 11 p.m. And, being used to staying up all night for work, Leah went back to watching TV. At 3 o'clock a.m., Leah went for a walk and a quick swim in the apartment swimming pool. When she came back to the apartment, Zachary was gone. Zach was reported missing on September 11, 2000. To this day, the whereabouts of Zachary Bernhardt are unknown. Where is Zachary? To the Where Are They podcast. The goal of our podcast is to give a voice to those that don't have one and to share their stories. Stories like eight year old Zachary Bernhardt's. Where Are They is a weekly show dedicated to bringing you the stories of the missing. We aim to bring awareness to these unsolved cases with the hopes that someone, somewhere, knows something. If you have a case suggestion for us, please email me at canwefindthem at gmail.com. Where Are They can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Please give us a follow and a like to help our cases be heard. We recently released the story of Marianne Alexi on YouTube, a mother of four who vanished in Anchorage, Alaska. Marianne's story was part of our Missing in Alaska series, and we appreciate anyone taking the time to watch her video. Another reminder, we will have our first live chat session next week. More info will be posted on social media, so please keep an eye out for that. If you want an invite emailed over to you, send me an email at canwefindthem at gmail.com and I will send one right over to you. Our first bonus episode will be going up on Patreon this Friday, the story of Denise Hiraman. Denise was a 13-year-old girl who disappeared from Queens, New York. Her case received so little attention, and even though she vanished in 1999, it's important to keep spreading the word of her disappearance. If you haven't joined our Patreon group, please check us out and consider supporting the show and our causes. You can find the group at patreon.com forward slash where are they podcast. I will share a link on our social media also. And lastly, I personally want to give a happy birthday shout out to Dee Dee Rockholt. Happy birthday! Dee Dee has been a supporter of our show since the beginning and we want to wish her a very, very happy birthday. Dee Dee, hope you had a wonderful 
day. Zachary Bernhardt was a thoughtful child, very curious and very intelligent. He loved to take items that he found laying around the house and just build or create things. His family used to smile and talk about how they thought he would make a great architect someday. He had a large family network consisting of his mom, Leah, his grandmother, Carol, and several aunts, uncles, and cousins. The family was known to be pretty close-knit, and Zach's cousins recall him playing games with them often. They also noted how Zach was an agreeable child who just wanted to get along with everyone and would just play whatever games the other kids wanted. Despite the large family, Zach's life was a bit chaotic in those first eight years. Zachary was born in December of 1991. His mom, Leah Hackett, was single and never really discussed who Zach's father was. In 1994, Leah was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan with a boyfriend when she gave birth to a little girl. Eventually, Leah and her boyfriend would break up, and Leah would end up moving back to Florida, at first taking both kids with her. During a visitation meetup, Leah dropped both kids off with her ex, including Zachary, and asked if he would also watch Zach, as well as their daughter, while she went out for a bit. He agreed. Leah, however, would not come back for the kids for several days. After this incident, the man fought for custody of the little girl and won. Leah and Zachary would move back to Clearwater, and Leah had little to no contact with her daughter. In fact, as far as anyone knows, this girl and Leah still have no relationship, even though her daughter is now an adult. Leah and Zachary would bounce around a lot as Leah struggled to keep a place and to keep the bills paid. They are evicted several times from many different places. However, with the help of her close family, they always seem to land on their feet. In 2000, Leah and Zachary were living in the Savannah Trace Apartments. Savannah Trace Apartments were located on Drew Street in Clearwater, Florida. The road runs east and west with the Gulf of Mexico on one side and Tampa Bay on the other. Leah was working the night shift and she and Zachary seemed to be finally doing really well. Everyone that knew them commented about what a doting mother Leah was to Zach and how close they were. Leah was also very involved in his schooling and was just a very active mom in his life overall. Leah's mom had commented that at some point, Leah had realized that Zach was all she had, especially after losing her daughter in the custody battle. And Leah, being 29 years old now, had had a little history of going out and partying a little bit, but was really working hard to provide a good life now for her and Zach. While she was working nights, a neighbor would watch Zachary. She would sleep while Zach was at school, and they would spend evenings together having dinner and watching television. The family said they loved to watch movies together, and when Leah was off of work, they often had sleepovers with the cousins. The other kids loved going to their Aunt Leah's house because she always let them stay up late watching all kind of movies. On the night of September 10th, 2000, Leah was off of work. She made dinner for her and Zach, and they were going to have a movie night together. Around 11 o'clock p.m., she noticed Zach falling asleep on the couch. Earlier that night, Zach had asked her if he could sleep with her, and Leah had agreed. So Leah carried Zach to bed, putting him in her bed before going back to watch some more television. 
Around 1 o'clock a.m., Leah said she remembered doing something in the kitchen and noticing that the trash needed taking out, so she did just that. Now, remember Leah worked nights, so her being awake all night long doing household tasks maybe isn't that out of the norm. That's just the schedule she was used to keeping. Someone in the apartment complex did notice Leah taking out the trash around that time, or at least they saw her putting the trash in her car and driving towards the dumpsters. Apparently, the dumpsters were located on the far side of the complex, and it was just easier to drive the trash over instead of walking. When Leah came back in the apartment, Zachary was still sound asleep. Leah said she would watch a little more television, and then around 3 o'clock, she was feeling restless and decided to go out for a walk. She did not lock the apartment door, which apparently was pretty normal for Leah. She took a short walk around and then said she went for a quick swim in the apartment complex swimming pool, diving in and just swimming the length of the pool before getting back out. And she did this apparently in her clothing and without a towel. So when she got back to her apartment, she was cold and wet from her swim, so she decided to go in and take a shower. When she got out of the shower and was standing in her room, she noticed that Zach wasn't in bed. She thought maybe he fell off the bed on the side between the bed and the wall, which is something he apparently had done before. But she looked and Zachary wasn't there. She looked throughout the entire apartment, calling his name, but could not find Zach anywhere. Next, she checked with her neighbor who had babysat for her previously and figured if Zach had gone anywhere, he would have gone there but the neighbor told her that they hadn't seen him. Leah would call the police and report Zach missing at 4.47 a.m. on the morning of September 11th, 2000. came out immediately and started searching. They brought search dogs out, but they couldn't locate any scent for Zach outside of the apartment. When the sun rose and it was daylight, they also brought out helicopters to search from above. It was thought that maybe Zach woke up while his mom was out of the apartment and he went looking for her, either leaving the apartment and maybe getting lost or maybe even abducted. Leah was upset, of course. She was sobbing. She was pacing around. She, in the beginning, looked like an anguished mother. And the police searched the apartment very thoroughly and found no signs of a struggle, no blood, nothing to indicate anything sinister had happened there. Right off the bat, however, the police did look skeptically at Leah. And I know the story leading up to Zach's disappearance does kind of paint Leah in a questionable way. However, while the investigation proceeds, there will be clues that lead police away from looking at Leah as a suspect. So again, a reminder to keep an open mind about what happened here while you listen to all of the evidence and circumstances. It's dangerous to jump to conclusions because if that conclusion is wrong, we might just let the truth skate on by. One of the first things detectives do is question Leah about Zachary's biological father. 
She does give them his information, but doesn't think that he had anything to do with it since they have had no contact. And, in fact, when police do track him down, not only are they able to verify his alibi that he was out of state, this man didn't even know that he had a son. Investigators take Leah down to the station on the morning of September 11th. In the interrogation room, Leah is frantic. She's crying, red-eyed, everything you'd expect. Except then during some of the questioning, she would stop and tell stories of Zach or something about him that would make her smile and even chuckling a few times. Investigators thought that was odd and had some experts look at her body language and her actions. And while everyone thought some of those moments might be questionable, experts did say that her actions were also typical responses of stress and panic. Leah is also very cooperative in the beginning, but the press gets a hold of some details and begins to run stories that makes Leah out to be a villain to the public. And when that happens, Leah shuts down, which, of course, makes the press attack her behavior even more. And some interesting things would come to light during the investigation. When Leah was telling them about her morning routine on that particular day, the walk and the impromptu swim in the pool, she mentioned to the detectives that she didn't have a swimsuit on or had even taken a towel that morning. And when they questioned her about that further, she kind of shrugged it off and she made a comment that she didn't even like swimming or going in the swimming pool. And when they asked her about that, about why then did she go for a swim and go in the swimming pool, she really didn't have a good explanation. Then the issue came up about her taking the trash out at 1 o'clock a.m. While nothing out of the ordinary was found in the trash at the complex, it wasn't clear how well the dumpsters were searched that night. Many people question if that's what she was really doing or if she had done something to Zach and was getting him out of the apartment at that time. Now, Leah's story always remained consistent to the detectives. She shut down for a few days. However, she did come out and make a tearful public plea on September 15th to beg people to keep looking for Zachary. Now, there would be zero evidence leading detectives anywhere, and tip lines were established. Hundreds of tips would start rolling in, but nothing helping them locate Zachary. And after just a couple of months, Leah would move away, not just out of the apartment and from the apartment complex, but she would leave the area altogether and actually stopped participating in the search for Zachary. Her family, defending her actions, said she just couldn't take the constant pain and struggle anymore. However, this is very unusual in missing children cases, Many times they don't ever even leave the house or place that they were living in just in case the child might return. And if they do leave, usually it's after a good amount of time has gone by, not just a couple of months. A break finally comes in when a confidential informant calls the tip line to tell police there is a man in the area bragging about kidnapping, raping, and killing children. First of all, I can't imagine in the first place how someone can do all of that to an innocent child, but then to go around and brag about it? That person must be a complete sicko. So anyways, this tip leads them 
to investigate a man by the name of Kevin Jalbert. An undercover officer befriends Jalbert, and in a car together, they begin riding around Clearwater. As they near the Savannah Trace apartments, Kevin points over towards the apartments and tells the officer, I kidnapped a boy from there once. Kevin Jalpert was arrested in June of 2001 on charges after he told the undercover detective that he had kidnapped and murdered boys in the past and gotten away with it. Jalpert also told the detective that he would use bleach to wash DNA evidence off of his victims. Detectives did find Clorox bleach and a funnel in Jalpert's vehicle. After Jalpert's arrest, authorities searched his home and cars and found that his computer contained multiple images of child pornography. It was then also determined that he visited a landfill two weeks after the disappearance of Zach. That landfill would be thoroughly searched, but no evidence would be found. Kevin Jalpert had also previously lived in the Savannah Trace Apartments, the very same complex as Zach and Leah. Jalbert would be arrested, tried, and convicted for pornography and other related charges, sentenced to prison until 2038. Jalbert has also said that he was just kidding when he was talking to the undercover officer about kidnapping and murdering children. Police have considered him a person of interest. However, they have also said that his, quote, DNA doesn't match, end quote. So the police had not previously stated that they had any DNA, especially male DNA, as they're alluding to here. So it is now believed that they do have evidence of some kind that they have not released to the public. They have also said that they don't necessarily believe Leah is a suspect, but they do believe she knows more than she is saying. In August of 2001, in Boulder, Colorado, all the way across the country, a new tip pops up. A photograph is found in the parking lot of a sporting goods store. It's a young blonde male, duct-taped and tied up, lying outside on the ground. And the child looks a lot like Zachary. But the photo isn't perfectly straight on. You can really only see half of his face. And after examining it for a pretty long time, the family doesn't think it's him. Law enforcement, however, is not ruling it out. And there definitely is some resemblance, but it's just not clear enough to tell. Investigators haven't really stated one way or another their thoughts on the photo. However, the boy in that photograph has never been identified. On September 11, 2001, a one-year vigil was planned for Zachary. The media was going to be there and hope was that this would renew the case in the public eye and might bring in some more tips. However, the day of September 11th came, and we all know what happened. At 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the World Trade Center towers, and the events that would unfold over the next hours and days, even, would tie up the media completely. Because of that, Zachary's case was left out of the media. Then, on New Year's Eve 2001, Something startling would happen at the Savannah Trace apartments, bringing Zachary's case to light once again. Three boys were outside, in broad daylight, playing on the playground at the apartment complex. 
A man in a pickup truck rides up and offers the boys some ice cream. One of the boys, a five-year-old, does approach the man. The man then jumps out of his truck, grabs the boy, jumps back in, and speeds off. Several witnesses do see this happen. A manhunt ensues, but they don't find the man or the pickup truck. They do find the boy, however, alive 10 hours later in a dumpster located 80 miles away from the Savannah Trace Apartments and Clearwater, Florida. The boy describes his kidnapper as a Caucasian male with dark stringy hair. And the police immediately wonder if this could be connected to Zachary's disappearance. However, they would never find this suspect and they wouldn't be able to officially say if there was indeed a connection between the two. There wasn't much information about the kidnapping itself, such as why it happened, what the purpose was, why the boy was dumped off in a dumpster. The questions could go on and on, but happening after Zachary's disappearance does make you wonder if there was something else going on in that area in particular. There have been no significant leads in the case since that kidnapping on New Year's Eve in 2001. Meanwhile, Leah had moved to North Carolina, remarried twice as far as we know, and has even moved as far away as Hawaii. So obviously many things do point towards Leah in this case. Her story is strange. Why go for a walk and leave her apartment unlocked? Why go for... A one-minute swim at 3 o'clock a.m. without a suit and towel when you admittedly don't even like swimming. The taking the trash out at 1 o'clock a.m. also makes people wonder. And the timeline of that night and what we know of it and those early morning hours was provided solely by Leah. But then again, Some things make me wonder if Leah might be telling the truth or partially telling the truth. Maybe she isn't parent of the year, but maybe she is innocent. For example, what is this DNA the police are comparing to? They alluded it to being male, possibly, but whose is it? Also, if Leah was guilty, why would she call the police at 4.47 a.m.? Why not come up with a better story to tell and just wait until morning to call the police? And she seemed to tell the police a lot of detail about that night in particular. And remember, her story stayed perfectly consistent throughout every interrogation that they put her through. There's just so many questions in this case. I also can't get over that kidnapping that happened on New Year's Eve. First of all, it's pretty terrifying that it happened in broad daylight with witnesses and that the perpetrator was never even caught. And it's also interesting that the little boy was dumped off in a dumpster 80 miles away. Alive. What was the purpose of that whole event? Was there a kidnapper in the area of Savannah Trace kidnapping boys? Or was that an elaborate ruse orchestrated by someone else to get the attention off of Leah? Or maybe it was just bad luck for Zachary that he walked out of his apartment that day at 4 a.m. and right into the arms of a kidnapper. Or did the kidnapper come inside the house? If they did, how did they know that the apartment was unlocked? 
There was a case years ago of a serial killer who found his victims that way, allegedly at apartment buildings in the middle of the night, just walking down the road, trying door after door until they came across one unlocked. So let's review the theories in this case. Number one, Leah. Let's talk about Leah first. She's probably the most obvious red flag here. Police usually look at people closest to the victim. And in this case, it would be Leah, the one who was with him, the one who reported him missing. Many things don't work in her favor. But for some reason, the police have never said she is even so much as a person of interest. They have, however, said they do think that she knows more than she is saying. And her actions were odd after the disappearance of her son. But psychologists have also stated that everyone reacts to tragedy in their own ways. So did Leah do something to Zach or does Leah maybe know who did? Theory number two, the random kidnapper. This is a possibility, especially with a kidnapping happening at the same apartment complex that Zach and Leah lived at. Maybe someone in the area who knew their routine, who knew of Zach and had been watching them, knew that Leah normally worked nights and just watched them until an opportunity struck. It's a theory that cannot be ruled out. Theory number three, Zach wandered away. Florida is full of waterways, and remember Drew Street, the street that the Savannah Trace apartment complex was on, ran between the Gulf of Mexico and the Tampa Bay. In between, waterways, small bodies of water, canals are not uncommon. There are also a lot of alligators in that area. Did little Zachary wake up, find his mom not there, and go off in search of her? Certainly possible. But the one question I have about that is why weren't the search dogs able to pick up his scent outside of the apartment? Theory number four, Kevin Jalbert. Do you believe Kevin Jalbert may have been guilty of something? He has since recanted his story that he kidnapped and murdered someone from Savannah Trace, but did he really do it? There was some evidence to point towards him committing crimes all of the pornography that they found on his computer, but also the bleach and tools that they found in his car. He was guilty of a lot of crimes involving children, and he did live in the same apartment complex. Or was he just a creep bragging about committing a crime he had heard about on the news? I'll never understand it, but criminals do that sort of thing all the time. It's been said that this case has divided Zach and Leah's family, There are some family members that think Leah is 100% innocent and was the victim of a witch hunt by the media. And there are some family members that believe Leah does indeed know more than she is saying. This case is tragic every way you look at it, having torn a family apart. What do you think happened to Zachary Bernhardt? If you have any information pertaining to this case or to the whereabouts of Zachary Bernhardt, please call the Clearwater Police Department at 727-562-4422. Somebody can't just vanish into thin air. It doesn't happen. Not for this long. Somebody knows what happened to my cousin. Somebody has the answers. Why they won't come forward, I don't know. 
Zachary was eight years old at the time he disappeared, but he would now be 29 years old. A huge thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Are They? and listening to Zach's story. Please share his name and let's continue to pray for answers in this case. Aside from Leah, Zachary left behind an extensive family that needs answers. Remember, our bonus episode will be up on Patreon this Friday. If you're not a member yet, you can get more information at patreon.com forward slash where are they podcast. Our YouTube episode is up this week, also discussing the case of missing mom, Mary Ann Alexi. You can find it on our channel. Make sure you are subscribed for new episodes if you're interested. And you can always find that link on our Facebook page. Thank you again so much for listening to Zachary Bernhardt's story. It seems his case has so many resemblances to other cases that received so much more media attention. Keep pushing for answers. Someone must know something. We will see you again next week with our regular scheduled episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones. Thank you.